0: Well good morning. Uh, Very glad that you're here today and we hope that uh, we'll have something to present from God's Word that will be both interesting to you and that will encourage you and your efforts to live the Christian life. We're going to talk about a subject that perhaps is not um, all that popular to talk about in the sense that um, you know we think about God as love and we are drawn to God because of that love that he has for us and we're to return that love. And all of that is very true. But there's also a measure of, of fear that Christians should have within their attitude when they look at a holy God that is completely different than you and I. And I think we look sometimes and we think that God is just another being. But the reality is is trying to compare God to us is, is like even, even more extreme than comparing an ant to us. It's just it's just uh his power is just enormous and so uh, a proper fear of god is an important ingredient in a christian's life the 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 term fear of god is used 38 times in the new testament fear of the lord is used 39 times so if it wasn't something that was important it would not be mentioned uh that often um So we're going to use this passage that's found in Luke uh, chapter 23 to kind of frame our thoughts. Uh, And it's a simple passage, and I'm just using a portion of it. It says, And one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? So here's these two guys and they both are facing the same fate. And it's terminal. I mean, I'm pretty sure at this point while they're on that cross suffering they have very little hope that they're going to survive it. There's very little doubt that their life is about to come to an end. One of these guys takes the occasion to blaspheme Christ. To question him. said, well, if if you're really the Christ, then get off the cross and save us too. That, that, was, this guy's, that was this guy's attitude. So one of two things, he either didn't believe that Christ was God, or two, he didn't believe that there was anything, such thing as a resurrection. And you know, that's, that was true in that day and age, and it's also true today. There are a lot of people throughout history again both then and now who don't believe that there's a resurrection an atheist would tell you that well there's no there's no god and therefore there's no resurrection and when you're dead you're dead and so that conjures up a different that belief system conjures up a different attitude and a different response than somebody like our second guy because the second one is on the cross Facing his device, he knows he's not going to live through this, but yet he says, don't you even fear God? So implied in that is some type of a, a, a understanding that there is a life beyond the life that we have now. This guy knew that, and then we know that later in the passage, uh, Jesus says, it's this day you shall be with me in paradise. And so um, he was aware of that, Jesus... Jesus taught that. The Apostle Paul confirmed it. It's very clear if you believe Scripture. But again, there's a lot of people, both in that day and and in this day, uh, that would not have uh, believed that. And so we hear the words of of Solomon. Solomon, uh, when he was alive, he was the richest man on the earth. He had wealth beyond measure. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try everything. I'm just going to try everything, and I'm just going to then tell people what I think at the end of trying all this stuff, and what's important and what's not important. Here's what Solomon said. He said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I've done all this stuff, and here's the conclusions that I've drawn. Fear God, and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. The old King James says, is the whole duty of man. Uh, He says, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will bring these things into judgment? Well, If we believe that, what we think about that, and whether we believe there is a resurrection, a life after this one, for both people that are faithful and those people are unfaithful, that changes the way that we should shape our life today. That's going to change the way that we approach life and make decisions and interact with, with our fellow man. In uh, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7, he says, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. Why is that? Because if you have the right respect, the right awe of God, the right reverence for Him, then that's going to cause you to seek His will. And that's going to begin your path onto being a wise person. So another passage we find in the Hebrew letter, and he starts this passage by saying, by telling these these Jews, these Hebrew Christians, first century Christians, he says to them, He says, you know, he says the word of God was preached to the Israelites. And they were promised a rest. And they didn't obtain it. They didn't obtain it. And because they didn't obtain it, there's a rest that remains to you. And so what does he he admonish the people to do? He says, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it just as they did. So he's talking to Christians. I want you to get the idea here that he's not talking to the the pagan on the street here. He's writing this to Christian people and he's warning them that they need to fear God and that needs to shape their behavior in this life because they indeed could fall short of that glory that was promised to those that live faithfully to the Lord. So I want you to think for a minute about all the things that we do in in this world uh, to remain safe. Security. This is a smoke detector. So there is a very low percentage chance that there's going to be a fire at my home. But I still have a smoke detector. Because if you have a fire, the results are so terrible that you would definitely want to get out of there. And so even though the percentages are low, we take, we take measures to protect ourselves against that. Same thing with carbon monoxide. We have a carbon monoxide alarm in our, uh, in our house. Uh, we also have a, a doorbell, ring doorbell system, and, and cameras and those kind of things, and probably many of you have invested in that. We have locks in the doors. Now, there's a low probability that someone's going to try to break in my house. Low probability. But it's possible. And because it's possible, I take some action to protect myself against that possibility. Car, air seat, or airbags in cars. Uh, this is something that I thought was, you know, well, that's kind of, superfluous you really don't need that you've got a seatbelt. why do you need these things well connie and i were in a wreck about almost a year ago not quite a year ago and um there was the the car hit us from from the the driver's side and the only thing that kept my head from hitting that window the driver's side window was was the airbag the side airbag and so i became a huge fan of side airbags right there in that event. Now again there's a low probability but, that you'll be in a wreck in any, any single trip but it happens and when it happens we want protection from that. So there's cyber security. Uh, we, take, we take precautions to protect the resources that we have digitally because we don't want people to get into them and steal the things that we have. And there's also financial security. You can think about that and protecting your wealth. This past week, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, there was a Silicon Valley bank that on Friday went uh, under and went into receivership. Uh, The government came in and took them over and uh, protected deposits up to to, uh, $250,000. But So it causes, when that kind of thing happens, people start thinking about their wealth and think, Was my money safe? Is where I've got it a safe place to put it? Uh, I'm not saying it's not. I think it it very much is. But uh, people begin to question those things. And again, all to protect us from something that is likely not to happen. But if it does happen, it's, it's a terrible risk. So this is what the Apostle Paul says. And my point to putting this up is to get us to understand that the risk we have with our soul is 100%. That there is going to be a judgment day and that your soul and my soul will reap the rewards or punishments according to the things that we've done in this life. Paul says it this way. He says, if in Christ we have hope In this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Or in the old King James it said, most miserable. But what he's making here is this whole argument in chapter 15 that, again, there was some confusion amongst people, even Christian people that said, oh, there's no afterlife. And Paul says that, hey, if there's no afterlife, we are really kind of wasting our time. The point is that not that God will reward you in this life, but the, report, the, but the point is that he will reward you in the life to come. And so I want us to understand that there is a judgment that will come to both your soul and mine for the things that we've done in this life. So those that would say there's no resurrection, well then I would say then at death, nothing matters. You're going to be gone and there'll be no consciousness of anything that happened and you'll just be gone. You will live on in the memories of a few loved ones, perhaps, for a generation or so. But then you'll be forgotten, and that'll be it. But if there's a resurrection, when you die, your relationship with the Lord is all that's going to matter. It's not going to matter how much money you've got. It's not going to matter how, many, how much influence and power you had in this life. The only thing that's going to matter is that relationship with the Lord. And so because of that, we should have a healthy fear and respect for for the Father and for the Son. Uh, You know, you think about any relationship that's on a hierarchy like that. There's a measure of fear, and by fear, I don't mean trembling and you're just scared that, uh, something horrible is going to happen to you, but the right amount of awe or respect or revere for that person or for that authority. So uh, many of you know that I retired from the school system back in 2020, and I've come back and I'm working for them again. And I'm, I was uh, when I left, I was in a position where I was a, a director of curriculum, and I had a lot of people that kind of reported to me and worked under me. Well now that role is kind of reversed and I'm now working for a lot of other people. I should have a fear, not of the person so much, but of that that authority. A desire to please that person that is in a position that is higher than me because their responsibilities at this point in the game are greater than mine. You know, Connie used to tell me a lot about, uh, the relationship she had with her dad. She loved her dad a lot. She loved her mom, too. But she had a special relationship with her dad. And she said that the thing that worse than any beating or anything that he might, and he never did that, but uh, he, her greatest fear was when if he were to say that I'm disappointed in you. That was her greatest fear. Because he, she had so much respect for him. And I believe that any kind of relationship, where there's a hierarchy to that relationship, there has to be a measure of, of, of fear, a, a healthy fear. Again, not one where you're cowed, but one where you, uh, you understand that relationship and in it's, and it's, the, the, its proper role. You know, you could really look at the word worship. And worship of God is understanding who he is and understanding who we are and then responding appropriately. So what have I got coming? Oh, okay. So, again, fear leads to a proper assessment of reality and the risk that we face. That will lead to an obedience to God, and that ultimately will lead to salvation. So that's the idea behind it. So this passage tells us this is, this is uh, the passage where Moses is about to address the people of Israel before they enter the promised land, and it's his last chance. Now, he's not going with them. He's not going to get to enter the promised land because of his disobedience to God, but they're about to go in, and here's what he says to them, and I think, I think his, his warning is something that we should really pay attention to. And and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. I don't know why it's doing that. And houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. So he's saying that here's the deal. Is you're about to enter this land and you're going to get access to all this stuff that you didn't have to work for. That I'm going to provide it for you. You're going to walk in and you're going to take over these peoples. And you're going to have access to all this stuff that normally you would have to build and plant and dig but that's not going to be the case. Here was the worry. We're finally there. Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. He's saying... Don't get in there and get to thinking that this is all you. Can we acknowledge that it, it's, it's tempting when things are going well for us and, and, and we, we, we feel self-sufficient that, uh, you know, life is going well and maybe we don't need God in the moment because things are going well. But there's a concern that that'll be our attitude and then we have something terrible happen and then we wonder where God was. So we need to be faithful. And and this is the worry that, 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 I, that Moses had and that God had as he sent these people in to inherit this land that they would turn their back. They wouldn't appreciate it because they didn't have to work for it. A familiar parable to most of you probably is the, this parable about the The uh, the the rich man who produced this land. I'm just going to paraphrase it rather than read it. But he produced this. He he produced and he had all this land and it it was very productive. He had all this grain. He said, "Here's what I'm going to do. I got enough to live on for a long, many many years. So I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build even bigger barns." And I'm going to store my grain and store my resources in those bigger barns. And I'm going to say to myself, soul, take take thine ease. You've got resources and food and everything you need for many, many years. Just relax and enjoy what all you've produced. And God comes to him and says, thou fool. Tonight thy soul shall be required of you. You're not going to live through the night, you're going to die. And then all this stuff that you've produced, who's going to get it? So he ends with, and the most important phrase in this is chapter 21 or verse 21, "So is one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I don't think God looks in displeasure down on us for planning. For the, the things that we need in this life. I don't think that's the point of this. But if that's the soul mission. And we don't think about the condition of our soul. That's a very different reality. And God says in this passage. That that's that's foolish. So he says in another passage in Hebrews. In Second in, uh, Peter chapter 1. He says for he that lacks these things. And. By these things, he's talking about the Christian graces, which is uh, brotherly kindness and charity and faith and temperance and godliness and all that. He says that if you've forgotten those things, you're short-sighted, even to blindness, and you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. You've forgotten it. It's not. It's. It's. Maybe you. Maybe you could say it. But it's not showing up in your life. You ever see that? It's where, where people know things, but there's a knowing doing gap. And, and so the things we know we don't act on, and because we don't act on them, there's this gap between, yes, I knew I should have, but I got lazy and I didn't. And so uh, that's a very real concern. So, I want to take you to the Isle of Patmos for a minute and our friend uh, John. John, uh, John, who wrote the book, John was the, the apostle who Jesus describes. He was the beloved apostle, he was the one that, that Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved all of his disciples, no doubt about that. But John was probably his best friend on the, in the world. And so, John is exiled on this, this island. And Jesus comes to him, his old friend, in a vision. But it's not this Jesus. It's this one. And I'll tell you, I look for pictures, and there are no pictures that can, that can adequately display what that would be like. Now, this is, John, this is John's best friend when, he was, when Jesus was alive. And when Jesus comes to him, he's so in awe of the situation. Here's what we see. He said, John says, I fell at his feet as dead. That's the awe. That's the reverence. That's the respect. So I would submit to you that none of us could have the vision of Jesus in his glorified state in our mind and go out and live a sinful life. You just, you, it's just impossible to think about that and then go sin and keep, this two, keep those two, sin and that in your mind at the same time. There's not room for it. So John sees this and he falls down as one that was dead. He was so in awe of what he saw. That's the fear that Christians should have of Jesus. Yes, he's our friend, but he's much more. So I'll end this morning with the idea that, do you believe that there's a heaven and a hell? You know, there are some people that would say that, well, this is just a nice story that parents have concocted to make kids behave, or society or rulers and societies have concocted to make their citizens compliant. There, that argument has been made. But I believe there is a resurrection. And if there's a resurrection, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And with God's grace and through the blood of Jesus, if we live a life that is faithful to him and it reflects the reality of the gospel of Christ, we can enjoy the benefits of that and not see the horrible, horrible uh, results that would be of a life that was lived the other way. So this morning... um, I hope I've at least had you to consider do you fear God? Do you have a fear, a healthy fear that motivates you to live the way that you should? If the church can assist you in any way we're going to sing a song of invitation. We would invite you to come to the front sit on the front, front pews uh, make your wishes known as we stand and sing together.